Welcome to Forward, the podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. This is your home for progressive, thought-provoking real talk in the chiropractic profession. Featuring the legends, the innovators, and the thought leaders that move our profession forward. And now your host, Dr. Bobby Maybe. The world can see us if they can. We are live. It is the FTCA podcast with Dr. Holly Tucker. Uh, before we get started, I want to let you guys know that these are the FTCA's partners and sponsors. Hyperice, Jane, Drop Release, T-Tool, China Gel, The Smart Chiropractor, and Gestalt Education. Those are our sponsors. Uh, they love you, FTCA, and they have plenty of great deals available to you. So keep your eyes out for when the deals come available. Members of the FTCA website at forwardthinkingchiro.com will get an update, uh, I believe, in their mailbox, like snail mail, Dr. Tucker, Dolly Tucker, Tolly Hucker. I do live in Tennessee. I mean, it is the land of Dolly. (laughs) I believe they're going to get something in the snail mail with a little gift uh, from from the from the uh, FTCA about the get the the sponsors and the deals. Uh, but if you ever want to know about a deal, you can always contact us at contact at forwardthinkingchiro.com and see what kind of deals you can get from these sponsors. We also have a partner. We support World Spine Care. We support them passionately. And we are uh, going to announce pretty soon a very special event in conjunction with World Spine Care. We are going to have a virtual summit that benefits, 100% benefits World Spine Care and their mission uh, to put a dent, a huge dent in the uh, global burden of low back pain. So stay tuned for that. That is awesome and exciting news. My, my involvement at the WFC, the World Federation of Chiropractic, I know, you know, we definitely appreciate uh, co-sponsoring things like that. So yeah, it's very supporting. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, they need money. If you want to like keep it simple, that they absolutely need money and, it, and we can always just write checks, but I figured this would be a, a uh, you know, with, uh, I forget which podcast it was. I think I was podcasting with Ryan DeBell. Mm-hmm. We were talking about win, win, win situations. And I couldn't think of any other better way to sort of like fundraise for world spine care than have a bunch of docs come on and, and create a great program, uh, have people get something for donating and, uh, get educated, edutained and all that other stuff in the same, pro- in the same time and then have all that funds go to world spine care rather than just cutting a, a flat check which is cool and all and uh, this is i think we're still in the helping hands campaign for world spine care going all the way through december so there's still plenty of time to donate to world spine care and i'll put up another post today in the facebook group about that uh, but as long as people are still hearing this podcast in its freshness not on a rebroadcast uh, we are in November of 2021, you still have till December 2021 into 2022 to donate to Helping Hands for World Spine Care. Uh, that's all. I think that's all the housekeeping. Oh, last piece of housekeeping. Uh, if you are interested in the FTCA and you're not a member of the website, you can join at forwardthinkingchiro.com. You get a listing on our membership map. Uh, you get all the benefits from the sponsors. There's a, a, a hub that's still kind of in beta, but a lot of people are already using it. It's, a, it's kind of like a Netflix of chiropractic content, clinical stuff, business, marketing, 
potpourri. We've got rants from Dr. Greg Friedman. There's all kinds of interesting That's the things one thing. <laughs> That's the one thing I want to log in for. <laughs> and, uh, and they're good. They're good too. And, and then we have this podcast network. So any podcasts that are Cairo related that people have been interested in, we've been seeking them out and they're in inside the hub. So you can, you don't have to go search around for a good podcast. They're already all in there. The whole hub is searchable. So all you have to do is search in a keyword. Like if you wanted to learn about uh, Facebook ads, you would just type Facebook ads and anything, podcast, video, any content that's ever been produced and put in the hub that, that has Facebook ads mentioned in it or as a title would, you would come up in your search. So that's pretty cool. Wow. Um, and that's uh, free for students. And it's free for students because doctors pay. They pay $7 a month or $79 a year. And that subsidizes uh, the opportunity for all students to have this information so they can start off their career strong. That's it. That's it. That's all I got, Doc. So now we get to talk about you. We get to talk, we get to talk about the Chiropractic Success Academy Money Matters Business Virtual Summit, which Dr. Kevin Christie and I put on every year. But we are featuring you. You are the stud. You are the champion. You are the driving light of this, um, of this summit this year because you've got this profit first thing going. And, you know, Dr. Christy and I, we were talking and we just want to get this idea across that being profitable is not bad. Yeah, right. <laughs> like being successful in business, if you provide a great business and a great service, like evidence-informed chiropractic, you should get paid like a, a bazillion dollars for doing such a good job for human beings. And so we want to get that point across and we want people who are really steeped in the knowledge of business and making sure that we are successful in business to be speaking. And so uh, you are top of mind. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you both, um, you know, for inviting me um, to be a part of it, you know, again this year. And um, it's, it's super exciting. It was definitely a pivotal moment last year to be a part of the um, Business Success Academy and bringing that all together. And then so coming back this year with it having a specific focus just on money, I was like, yes. What has changed <laughs> in your knowledge this. base from last year to this year? How have you done? Um, well, I think that, you know, I'm, I've gone through the, the official certification process with Profit First Professionals and, you know, have the, their rubber stamp approval to be out there as a, essentially a brand steward um, teaching and coaching in this methodology. And I mean, honestly, I mean, it just solidified everything that I had seen myself because, I mean, Profit First comes from a book um, written by author Mike Michalowicz. And I read, well, I should listen to the book you know, on my own and just took action and implemented it, but I didn't have like a support system from somebody in the financial industry to sort of hold my hand and say, is this right? You know, what's going on? You know, right. what should I be doing here? Um, I, I essentially had accountability partners who were other women in chiropractic that had their own offices and they were implementing it and doing it ourselves. And so we bounce a lot of ideas off of each other. Um, but going through the process and just seeing all of the different types of um, businesses that this has been successful with has really been solidifying. So as an organization, Profit First Professionals, um, they certify three different types of um, occupations, essentially. They certify CPAs, accountants, um, bookkeepers, and then coaches, which is the category that I fit in now. So it's nice to just have a much bigger network for me to bounce ideas off of and run scenarios because I very much encourage all of my clients to have a CPA that they work with, but sure. some of them don't, or some of them have had really bad experiences with CPAs or bookkeepers in the past, just 
you know, it can happen in healthcare and it can happen in the financial industry too, right? Um, so it's nice for me to be able to have that extra network and that extra support to lean back and say, okay, let me go bounce this question here and then come back and bring back most best resources for you. What is the profit first system? Like how, in what arena does it, does it lean more heavily? Does it lean more into the accounting aspects of business management? Does it lean more into the, you know, the, the human resources aspect? Does it lean more into financial planning? Is there a place where it, it sinks its foot in a little deeper? I would say it's, you know, I think that Mike, you know, the author definitely has a heart for entrepreneurs, like uh-huh. to, to just begin with. And I mean, really, you know, those ones, even I think he started more in like the venture capital sort of world and tech and that sort of thing. But through finding and figuring out this methodology has been able to help, you know, monitor businesses and and implement this in in many different business industries. I mean, he talks a lot in his book about um, the Savannah Bananas, which is a a baseball team (laughs) in Savannah, Georgia. We have the Portland Pickles. So, okay. Yeah, they, have, they all have funny names now. They, yeah. Yeah. You know, so he talks a lot about, you know, their case study. Um, but then, you know, it really, I think the certification came from the fact that they wanted to get into the financial world and say, okay, let's, let's bring in these partners, you know, from the accountant, from the actual, you know, tax planning and that sort of thing, not only to get their opinion on it, but then also help to get their strategy on it. And how can we apply this across different industries? Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's sort of a toss up of like when um, a firm essentially comes to profit first professionals on whether or not they've actually like implemented it and like lived the plan themselves, sure. or if they're just looking for something new to help their clients strategize. And so part of the certification process is you have to prove that you have implemented this within your own business. Like you can't just yeah. say I'm certified in this method, but I don't actually use it myself. Like yeah. how can you be a, a good brand steward? I of dig that? it, but I don't use it. That'd be like yeah. a, a, a chubby personal trainer. <laughs> you know i mean we we can you they know, exist we all have know. our strengths right they exist <laughs> it could but be it's not it's not one you want to buy into it's not one that that uh like if if you were owning a gym you'd, you'd want to hire you know yeah I, th- and that's kind of how i liken it in my mind is there's there are different echelons to the finance profession or, or financial management so you know you have your certified financial planners and they're they have these fiduciary responsibility for insurance and mm-hmm. um investing advice and and all that sort of thing then you have your certified financial analyst which is going to look more at uh like larger corporate investments and in investment strategies in that way and then the the accountants and things like that but we also Retirement, always need yeah. like we need we need experts in the field, field coaches. So mm-hmm. we see that in our sort of musculoskeletal world, you've got, you know, you've got orthopedic doctors and they shouldn't be giving exercise advice. You know, they should be handling orthopedic issues mm-hmm. and you've got your chiropractors, uh, your physical therapists, you know, they're going to handle musculoskeletal issues, but still in my mind, even though we've, we've been blurring the line a little bit, I still think that chiropractors should be handling problems and not doing exercise advice, like leave that to the trainers and the coaches of the world. And all those people show some sort of level of expertise within that without, without it going down to the level of your uncle at the barbecue, giving finance advice, right. Or giving entrepreneur advice. We we don't want that. We want someone who's been at least gone through some sort of fire and at least has been vetted on some sort of process. So Mm -hmm. 
uh, I always look at these sort of things because I know that there are people in the general population that are like, I need something to get started. I need something. If you want to talk about chiropractors and the business education they get in school, they should all be coming out saying, I need something more. I need some more direction. I need some more, uh, I I don't want to use the word advice, but I need some more coaching on the, on the subject. Do you think profit first for a chiropractic graduate, like fits that, that niche? Yeah, for sure. For someone who jumps out and starts their practice right out of school. Yeah. I mean, I think it should be mandatory, you know, just to read it. If you are planning on definitely going into business for yourself, um, you know, you've already convinced yourself of that, then, you know, knowing a system like this so that you at least know, you know, where the pitfalls may be or where you might develop some bad habits. Um, Because we can justify a lot of stuff in those first couple of years, like, oh, you know, I'm going to be operating at a loss, I'm going to have all these startup expenses, but then how do we get out of that cycle and actually, you know, think about the future, right, be forward thinking and think about what you want your intention to be and where you how you want to measure success within your practice. Um, You know, I mean, I graduated 10 years ago, and I feel like the education and the business side of things that I got was severely lacking. It was like, you know, I remember we had like that capstone project where we had like this 50 page document that we had to put together. And I mean, you know, it was, it was kind of crowdsourced, you know, we, we, you know, share some resources throughout our class. Like, well, what did you find for these numbers? And what did you find for that numbers? But it was all, it was all for pretend, right? Sure. So it's good to actually get some real life numbers and see some different scenarios I think, you know, this is obviously unverified statistic. I think at the time when I graduated, maybe about a third of our class was planning on going and and opening up their own practice, right? Knowing the students that I know now, I would say that's like less than 10% of like people are wanting to go out and open up their own practices. So number one, if, you know, if you're in that 10%, you, you know, you need to know a methodology like this, but number two, if you're so scared to go into business for yourself, I think you should also look at it and see how it can be simplified for you. Um, and then it doesn't have to be this like big, hairy, scary thing. Um, you know, and that's just a generational difference where we have right. people that are coming out, they want stability, they, they don't want to be said, Oh, yeah, you know, you could share space with me, and you can go work your butt off, I'm not gonna help you build your business at all. But sure, you can be under my roof with me, like nobody wants that scenario anymore. It's kind of crazy to think anybody yeah. on it before. Um, but but yeah, I mean, I think it's important to know, too, um, with some of the students that I mentor is like, if you are going to be an associate, you know, know your value and know your asset. Like, yeah, you are coming right out of school, but maybe you have a skill set, you know, that you can help with the marketing of the practice or you can help with the social media. You can help with this. Like, oh, you, know, no, you have no. to get paid, so, right? Yeah, I'm going to push back a little bit because I think we, we think on binary terms there, like you're going to graduate and you're either going to open a practice or, or be in some sort of ownership role or you're going to be an associate. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the newer graduates are thinking binary like that. I think there's a large chunk of them that think they're going to be hired by some sort of organization, whether it's the VA or a hospital system uh, or one of the franchise chains, I think. So it's kind of like a, it's a, there's a tertiary, right? And I think most of them are delusional. I don't think there are as many of those opportunities around as they might think there are. Mm -hmm. I do sort of think that the schools sell them that those opportunities are plentiful and that they're going to get out. They're going to work for a hospital system. They're going to have full benefits and 401k matching and, yeah. and the, the system's going to also pay for their student loans. And there are opportunities that do exist like that. Um, but they're, they're not out there for us. 
it seems yeah. like there's a very small group of people that get those opportunities. Yeah. So what I think happens, and there, this is a moment for capture here for people who need to understand the importance of profit first, is they walk out into the professional world thinking that they're going to secure one of those positions. They don't get one of those positions. You know, they put all their eggs in that basket. Mm -hmm. And now they need to come back to this other world, this binary world of, am I going to be an associate or am I going to open my own practice? Yeah. And they're not going to be an associate or they might be for like a year, but then they're going to want to open their own practice. Mm -hmm. And I always say it when I give student talks, I say there, there's rarely, if you can find me an associate position that, that lasts, let me know because they yeah. all end. They mm -hmm. all end at some point. So all roads still come back to profit first or this concept of having to understand how to operate a business. They all the roads come back to it eventually, yeah. whether it's 10 years, five years, two years, two months. At some point as a chiropractor, you're going to have to face this music. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because you, just as a profession, as a whole, we, we don't have that big of a market share where we're not just entrepreneurs at the end of the day. Right. Right. So it would be, it would behoove, do people still use the word behoove? It would Maybe. behoove you <laughs> to, to, to be, prepare yourself to scale in this, in this manner, in this direction, which is uh, business acumen and operating. Yeah. So tell me this about profit first, because I have no clue. I am not exposed to it at all. I have no profit first exposure. What happens when somebody, what would you call it, signs up mm -hmm. or joins for coaching or, or Right. What's going to happen week one? Yeah. So if you're if you're looking at implementing profit first, and so you, again, you can do this with a coach, you can do it by yourself. You know, if you get stuck, then you can reach out, strategize with a coach. But essentially, implementation is it all starts with an assessment. We have to see where how how profitable your business is, how you've been compensating yourself, how you've been saving or um, or not saving for taxes, what your tax liability is going to be, because those are your biggest expenditures outside of just your overhead. Right. Right. And I, you know, again, I, I remember in school, it was like overhead was just the only target we needed to hit. Like, just make your overhead, just make your overhead. It's like, yeah, well, you have to pay yourself at some point. You have to support your family. You got to save for taxes. So yeah. profit first brings all those things together and simplifies it for you to where, you know, exactly where your money is going and your money has intention. Your cash flow has intention for you. Um, so if you don't know anything about it, it's labeled profit first because from day and from dollar one, every dollar that comes in, you separate the money that goes out with intentions. So you have, and it's based off of your bank accounts because we know that, you know, you can have an accounting software like QuickBooks and you can have a CPA that you, um, you, you consult with and that sort of thing. They're not the ones making the day-to-day -day decisions um, in your practice. You, you are as the business owner. So what do you do when money comes in, when patients pay you, when insurance companies pay you, when whoever pays you, what do you do with that cash? So we base it off of percentages and we base it off of having separate bank accounts for these things and we label them as such. So all your money comes into a deposit account. You sit down most likely twice a month to evaluate that money and to distribute it to the, to the other bank accounts. So you have a, literally a bank account that's labeled for profit and that's a percentage. And we literally only start that at 1% um, when you, know, you start working with clients or when you start you know, reading the book and implementing yourself. Um, and then we have an owner's pay account Like you have to, you have to be paying yourself, you know, and unfortunately I've done consults with practices that are like, I've been in business for three or four years, have yet to pay myself yet. You know, like everybody else gets paid before I get paid. Like that has to change. It's not sustainable. 
Um, the third account is you're, you save me for taxes. And again, I know in those first couple of years in startup, you're not going to have a huge tax liability, but you have to plan for it for when eventually you will, right? Because otherwise it's going right. to slap you in the face um, and be like, oh goodness, you know, how can, right. how can that piece of paper say that I made $40,000 in profit last year when that's definitely not what's in my bank account. Especially right? when you don't pay yourself and yeah. then you're, you're just taking profit when you can catch it. Yeah. You know, that's going to yeah. hurt. Yeah. Um, and then the last thing is, is operating expenses. OPEX is, is what we shorten that to. Like that is what you get to eat or essentially that's what you get to spend in your business. And so we don't just look at all your revenue as potential spending money, right? We want to save, save, save first and then spend your money um, on, on the overhead, on the operating expenses, that sort of thing. So it, it's sort of built in to look at efficiency in your business. Um, and that's, you know, where I start with working with a client. It's like, we just need to see what you've been doing over the last 12 months. We don't really want to get an analysis paralysis and look over like five years or something like that. Cause it's just not going to be indicative of what your habits are today. Sure. So start with that assessment. And, you know, essentially we boil those numbers down to percentages and say, here's where you are. And then we figure out what do we want a goal to be? And that goal comes from um, both the metrics that are written in the book and the book is based off of um, where you are in income brackets. Like if you've hit $250,000 in revenue yet, if you've hit 500,000, if you've hit a million, um, there are percentages or targets where you want to hit, but you know, it's all customizable. Like you don't have to hit those numbers if that's not what is going to work for your business or for your practice. So, and we just start incrementally start working towards whatever your goal is going to be. Um, and a lot of times it's like, just that next step is like, okay, now I want to know, you know, what's your baseline salary of how you want to, you know, how much you want to make, what would be a little bit more comfortable? Like, Hey, it would be nice. You know, it, you know, 10 years into practice, I would have been making this much by now. And then what's your dream? Because I want you to be able to distill those, those numbers back, walk them back and say, what does that actually mean day to day? How much you have to be generating for that to be attainable? Because sometimes it's just a made up number and you have no right. idea what it takes to get there. Reality always helps. Right. So <laughs> that next stage is really, um, okay, well, let's look at your expenses. Can we cut 10% today? You know, and it helps, I think, to have like, because you, you have, obviously, there's a lot of emotions that are wrapped up in how we spend our money and how we manage our cash and, you know, the, the decisions that we've made in the past that had led us to where we are today. So that's one of my favorite moments is when I'm working with clients and we're walking through that expense audit and I'm like, okay, you know, is this something you're actually still using or can we find an alternative for this? Or can we put this on pause just until the end of the year and we'll circle back on it? Like, can we just cut something so that we can get you to pay yourself actual, some actual cash by the end of the year? Um, you know, it's, it's just sort of like peeling, you know, the emotions off of it. Like I'm just coming in with an objective viewpoint. And I mean, I've been in practice. I've owned a practice. I've been an associate in a practice. I kind of know what these numbers should look like. And if something's like really extraneous, it's like, hey, that's not normal. I think we can definitely find find something there. Um, I remember one time doing an assessment with a client and I was like, okay, you sold like 20, like their one of the reports said they had like $20,000 worth of product sales last year. And I was like, okay. So we're, I was like looking on down and I'm like, I didn't really see a, a line for how much they spent on those products. And when right. I said that number to them, they were surprised. Right. And so we got down to it and just found it was a bookkeeping error. That, like, there wasn't, they didn't really sell many products at all. That was just one of the insurance payments that was coming in was being recategorized. Oops. So you don't, you can't have your reports lying to you either. Right. So again, you just got to have that objective viewpoint. And then when you take, 
you know, these numbers to your CPA or to your bookkeeper, if they don't know your industry, they're just going to think, okay, yeah, that looked normal. They, right. they may not pick up on those little tiny things. Like, you know, this really shouldn't have been that much. Um, so yeah, I mean, then that next step in the process is we are like literally just working with one percentage points where we're looking at those expenses. Can we move the needle just one percentage and put one more into the tax account this month or put one more percent into owner's pay this month or put one more percent into profit for this month um, or, or having an emergency fund that comes up a lot too. A lot of times yeah. if, um, if clients are sitting on just a little bit of cash. Um, that we don't necessarily just want to distribute all out into the four accounts, then I'll say, okay, let's just make that emergency fund. Let's pretend that's just not there because emergencies do happen, right? And so it's nice to just stow that away and not be making day-to-day spending decisions off of it. It's interesting how that plugs into so many different other aspects of practice. So when you have clean reporting, clean bookkeeping, and and a clean uh, bill of record of where everything's gone, Mm-hmm. how easily that will lend to practice valuation right? for future sales or to understand how much equity you've built into your practice, what it's actually worth. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how going through the assessment process can really help somebody who doesn't have any real idea of how much work they need to do to make the money that they want to make or, or charge appropriately or what services are providing, how they can reverse engineer that to, for a little bit of a dose of reality, you know, like, Oh, you know, I want to make, you know, mid six figures a year, but I only want to see four people a day, you know? Okay. So we're not saying that's impossible, but now you have some numbers to work with for what you'd want to do, Mm -hmm. you know, and now it's time for you to start hitting the streets of Beverly Hills and drumming up the four patients, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I think that's fascinating because once you own the numbers, once you own the process back and forth, mm-hmm. then you can start being much more creative as an entrepreneur. You can understand what kind of scaling you have to accomplish. So there's like three things that that all plugs into, you know, uh, what to charge, how much work you have to do, uh, practice valuation, building your equity, and then how to scale just out of this little bit of knowledge that you can gain pretty easily. Yeah. Yeah, I think that just that awareness of the numbers, it's like, you know, you just, when you go to set your prices, you just kind of throw something out there, right? And you're just like, sort of like waiting for it to be tested and validated. And then, you know, you get, start to get comfortable with it, Um, you know, and then you got to stretch a little bit if you want to, if you want to, you know, move those numbers north at all or whatever. But I mean, I can remember being in practice and it's like, you know, if I charged $45 for something, I remember like having like, like that number for me is going to evoke a different emotional response than it is for any very varied patient that could be sitting in front of me, right? That could be a lot of money to somebody. That could be not a lot of money to somebody. Um, but I, I can remember like very much like having ownership of that $45 for whatever service it was. And then it's like, after we found profit first and did the assessment and found out that, you know, we were only paying ourselves about 33%, our owner's comp was 33%. And this is for my husband and I, together in the same practice. So right. really, if it was only one of us, you really have to cut that in half again. But then it suddenly made it clear, like every single patient room that I walked into where I thought before I was making $45, it's now like I'm, $18. Really, I'm only really making like 15, yeah, like $15. <laughs> and so, you know, you just have to think about it differently. And I think it also helped with, um, knowing a little bit too, like just having that awareness and that realization of just your whole money mindset 
And then you can start to piece together, like maybe the conversations that even your staff has with clients. Like if they are starting to impose their own money mindset on, on clients, you know, like I've been, I mean, just personally, like I've been to medical offices before. And I mean, I have a high deductible insurance plan. It's really just there for emergencies. And so I know when I walk into my dermatologist, I've got to whip out 200 bucks to pay for this yeah. office visit. And like, yeah. you hear them, they're like, okay, your visit's going to be $200. Is, is that okay? Or do you just want to put 50 on account? I'm like, no, I just want to pay my $200. Like, don't try to yeah. talk people out of the cash flow that needs to come into your business. Right. So yeah, it, it definitely pieces together a lot of things and boils it down to just clear numbers, you know, just. No, I just, think one of, uh, on that note, I think that can also, you know, I, I don't want to accuse anybody of being fraudulent. I don't, think, I mean, you know, 99% of people are not fraudulent, mm -hmm. but I think when you don't manage appropriately, it, appropriately, it opens the window to fraudulent behavior uh, because you don't know, your bookkeeper doesn't know, because like you said, they don't know your industry and you can kind of get away with it for a little while until the numbers are big enough that the IRS or the state are like, well, that doesn't make any sense at all. Mm -hmm. I knew, I knew a lady a chiropractor and I was interested in buying her practice and there was one one item in her books and it was a continuing education it's like wow she really spends a lot of money on continuing education this is I don't know if it's impressive or if I've got a lot of questions here <laughs> and what it was was she would she had a special doctor in San Francisco and she would fly down to have consultations with her special doctor in San Francisco and she would stay the weekend. She'd have a good time. She would pay the doctor in cash for the consultation. She'd come back and she would mark it off as continued education. Hmm. And I would okay. say, well, I, how, how am I supposed to account for that? I don't have a special doctor for me to fly to, to match these numbers. And she would, well, you know, it was a doctor and I'm a doctor and she was educating me. So I was getting educated. So it's continuing education. I'm like, oh no, no, you, can, you can't do that. And yeah. or like investing in office art, like fine art for the office, understanding oh. full and well that when the practice is sold, you walk you walk away with that fine art. Yeah. Like these these little small accounting things sort of show up. Like, you know, I'm going to dip in for lunch and pull like 50 bucks out of the cash register, and they, it's just not clean and mm -hmm. not clean. I'm not saying that you'll ever get audited or. <clears throat> or someone's going to lock you up in matching silver handcuffs, uh, bracelets, mm -hmm. matching silver bracelets and take you away. But one day, someday you're going to show up and someone's going to want to buy what you got. You're going to want to sell what you got and it just won't look pretty. And, and a good buyer is going to have to walk. And right. At that point I was a good buyer and I had to walk for that yeah. and many other purposes. Well, I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a viable tax strategy, you know, to have that bottom line look as least as possible if you don't want to pay into a whole lot of taxes. Um, but I think that at the end of the day, we just really have to think like, is, is that your ultimate goal in life? It's just like to skirt around and not pay any taxes or do I know, you but just taxes suck, man, but <laughs> let them be successful. No one likes taxes. Yeah. But I you mean, still have to do it kind of like uh, your, to your best ability, you have to be as correct. And, and we all want to save as much on taxes as possible, yeah. but yeah. there's a difference between saving and lying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and that's a big point. I think profit first can also reveal that to you. Like it could be painfully obvious how, how, how brutal self-employment taxes are and what mm -hmm. you're throwing away or what you're leaving on the table there versus incorporating 
and then paying yourself a true salary with some pass-through income as well. Yeah. But self-employment taxes are absolutely brutal and you're going to get hurt every single time if you want to play that middle game. And that's what people mm-hmm. do. They, they call themselves independent contractors and then they don't incorporate and then they have to pay the self-employment taxes is probably the worst tax rate it yeah. could exist unless you're a bazillionaire. Wait, they don't pay any taxes, right? Billionaires no, don't pay taxes. Yeah. <laughs> no, they just make rocket ships. They don't pay. T- yeah, <laughs> they don't pay taxes. They just employ thousands and thousands of people that pay the taxes. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and you know, to me, it just it really came down to just having a system and really just just knowing what to look forward to rather than knowing what to like dread and practice, right? Because I mean, that right. you know. Yeah. You went to school to be a chiropractor. You want to spend your time being a chiropractor. You didn't go to business school. You know, you don't want to get bogged down with all of these things. Um, so you have to line up the systems in place and, you know, potentially the, the people like a bookkeeper or somebody like that, that are going to help you get to where you need to be. Um, but I caution that with like, you still have to be engaged in the process. You can't just like let, oh, right. everybody else controls right. it, you know, and, and you don't have any ownership. Um, over that. And you, you got to be careful how many times you pass off your mess too. Like if you, you had a bad experience with a CPA or a bookkeeper, and then you just go and hire a new one and you just go and hire a new one. And then it's like, I don't know what's going on anymore. Right. Yes, like, yes. okay, we got to get in there. We got to figure this out. We got to draw a line in the sand. You know, I, I tell, I use that line a lot for clients. And sometimes it's like, you know, if you've been making Starbucks runs on the business account, draw a line in the sand of days, you're not going to do that anymore, you know? And it's like, sometimes we just get the, or get ourselves into these financial habits where it's like, why did I ever start doing that in the first place? You know? So my goal is always like, I just want you to pay yourself more and you can do whatever you want with your money on the personal side. Okay. But we have to get these things off of the business and, and stop, you know, using the business more as your lifestyle. If at the end of the day, you know, you're, you're living in poverty for it. So yeah, your business is not your petty cash machine. It's your baby. Yeah. It'd be like, you know, if you had an actual child, which you have children and I have children, right. you know, that child is not, you know, you're not like uh, putting them out on the street corner with a banjo and a hat and being like, make me some money, kid. It, <laughs> it's, it's something that you invest time, blood, sweat, and tears into to grow and to be a, a, a thing that matters, a mm-hmm. thing that matters well beyond you. And uh, so, so yeah, don't, you can't treat your business as a petty cash machine. That's, that's a recipe for disaster. Now, these two moments a month where you mm-hmm. are allocating, yep. from your personal experience, what do they feel like? What does it feel like to you? What emotions do you get when you're, when you're doing that process? I mean, I, I get excited. I mean, but I love this stuff and I love numbers, but I hope that my clients get excited too, because what happens is that, you know, rather than, you know, as a business owner, like constantly always thinking about, did this clear? Did that clear? I got to write a check for this. I got to do this, I do that. You like just turn that part of your brain off until those two days a month and you sit down and you're going to deal with all the things, but then you also get to go and you get to log in your bank account and see how much money has accumulated and get excited about making your profit transfer and making your owner's pay transfer and hitting the goal that you set out that you wanted to hit. Um, because a lot of times it's just like, you got to put the intention out there. Like you still have to do the work on the back end. It's not magic, but if we start to set some intentions and then we, you know, we've worked our way backwards and we're like, okay, what does it take to get there? It's all of a sudden, wow, there's that number that I, I wanted to see that I've never seen before. And here it is, you know, I mean, it happens time and time again. So, I mean, I get really excited for, you know, the distribution days and, you know, I, I, 
mark out my schedule with my clients so that we are doing this distributions together and that we know nice. exactly where um, the money is going because it can be a very confusing time. It's, I think the biggest thing is like, people are like, wait a second, I have one or two, maybe two bank accounts. How do I go from like not even being able to manage those two to suddenly managing five of them? Well, it simplifies it because one is just going to bring, bring all the money in, you know, and the, and the other three are going to be savings accounts. And that one true checking is like the things where you're actually paying your operating yeah. expenses. So while there are some internal transfers that have to be accounted for, it really just makes it much more simple to look at it and go like, I know I'm purely just looking at these numbers in this account um, and not trying to remember all those things that have happened the entire month. That's so. great. So were you and your lovely life partner practicing together during any of your implementation of Profit First or had you already sort of had your different practice focuses at that point? Uh, no, we were together. We were, okay. we were together for the first seven, almost eight years um, of, um, of our careers together. So we found Profit First about midway through that journey. So I think we were at, been, had been in practice for about four years. So okay. we found Profit First. So this I was next... always the one to do, to keep up with the accounting type of stuff. Like we both went to the CPA meetings, but I was the one, you know, doing all the backend work and that sort of thing, because that was my sort of area of expertise even before coming into chiropractic school. Like I had managed medical offices before um, and I, I just knew the bookkeeping side of things and the insurance billing. So I just gravitated towards doing that when we were in practice together. So when I was the one to read Profit First and it was like, I just picked out little snippets for him to be like, hey, I really sure. want you to listen to this part. I really want you to get this. And it was like, yeah, okay, yeah, let's do it. It makes sense. That's good. That's good. You. Mm -hmm. So this makes my next sort of line of discussion relevant. Because we know, you know, if if spouses are going to have an issue in normal life, not mm -hmm. just business life, it's usually around money. Yeah. And then I can only imagine, I, I have never been in business with my spouse, but I could only imagine that practicing together and the money that comes from a joint practice can only heighten the, the stresses <laughs> if yeah. it's not managed properly. For sure. Yeah. Um, so I think that just bringing in a system like this, like just objectifies your intentions behind what's going on with your money and your finances. And um, I have worked with some other couples before and I've, I've done some, you know, consults with couples and yeah, it's, it is a much different dynamic when I have both partners on the line <laughs> on right. a zoom call together versus when it's just one of them, you know, you can see there's just a different expectation or there's just different connotations to where things are coming in and who thinks money should be spent this way or that way. So yeah, it can be very difficult and, and delicate. Um, you know, I've had this conversation, my husband and I both have this conversation many times with some of the students that we mentor too. It's like, whether you're going into a partnership with like just a friend or colleague of yours or with your significant other, like you have to know what you're doing. Like communication has to be key. It's not keeping each other in the dark. It's not, you know, I think this way and they think that way. And we're just going to be in the same room and it's going to work out. Like it's most right. likely not going to work out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, from a personal finance level, I can understand that from personal finance because when me and my wife got married, they were second marriages. So we already had sort of our lives set up. Mm -hmm. You know, I lived my way, she lived her way. Then we, we uh, incorporated, right? An incorporation of love mm -hmm. is what I call it. And um, you had to re readdress management of money. And once we did, like once we got the, whatever you want to call it, whether it's like the Ramsey method or whatever method you got, 
and then you implemented the method, then just this ton of bricks came off you. Like you felt yeah. control or that you were, you, you were in control of your own destiny. Mm-hmm. That there was a big cloud that lifted off of us as a, as a couple. And I can only imagine that's a 10 X for business partners and spouses that practice together too. Like they need yeah. to have this under control or it could become an issue. Yeah. Yeah. Especially I if mean, one doesn't drink Starbucks and the other one is running to Starbucks every day on the company car. Yeah. I mean, or just, you know, very real, real reality that happens every day, you know, with Cairo couples, it's like, you know, if, if you start to grow a family, you know, and one person suddenly is now working more hours than the other one, or the other one's incapacitated for a time, or, you know, you have childcare issues, like you really just have to be on the same page, or there's just going to be this growing resentment, you know, from day one. And I think that for us, it goes back to, I think, the very first conversation that we had with our CPA when we were essentially just doing market research and figuring out where we were going to set up an office and town we were going to be in, you know, we literally just called up a couple of CPA offices and said, you know, can we come in for an appointment for a consult? And the only one that was willing to sit down with us, knowing that we were new graduates, you know, we were there, you know, to start a business in the community long-term. The only one that was willing to sit down and talk to us is the one that's still our CPA 10 years now down the road. Because the other one's like, they weren't even in their office on a Monday afternoon, or they just didn't bother calling us back or, you know, like whatever it is. But the, the sort of precedence that was set from like the professionalism of the CPA, helping us and guiding us to even like how to set up a business and how to compensate ourselves, like everything was just a trickle down from there um, to just that that was just a level that we were going to do. You know, sometimes I every once in a while I'll take on a startup client. I do. I don't do a whole lot of startup clients. My sweet spot is really like you've been in business for five or 10 years and like now you would get serious about actually paying yeah. yourself. Um, every once in a while I'll take on a, a startup client and it's sometimes it's just crazy to me, like to even be in that mindset back there again, you know, it's like talking to a client I'm like, Hey, okay, well, let's go ahead and get an LLC set up. Let's, if you're going in business, you're going in business. Like there's no turning back. I'm like, well, I just want to wait till I actually have more money. I'm like, just mm-hmm. from here now I have a business. Here's your CPA. No, that's a ruse. That's forward. a ruse. That is a complete ruse. They're saying that the real words that are coming out of their mind is, well, I just want to see if this actually sticks and I'm actually like I don't fail within a couple months. Yeah, yeah. So it's a it's cold feet instead of diving in all the way. Like mm-hmm. I'm doing this, I, but look, I was shocked that you just said something like, "Before we opened a practice, we were exploring the best location." Right. And people don't even do that. <laughs> They're like, you know, oh, that town has some good nightclubs. I'm going there. <laughs> or the golf is pretty good in that town. I'm going there. Like I think you know, we obviously you're at a certain level because of a certain, uh, uh, what would you call it? You're, you're already sort of seasoned to go in a good business decision route by your previous experiences in life. Uh, and we do have to be mindful that not everyone has those, those sort of pre-seasoning before they jumped into entrepreneurship Mm -hmm. or they never wanted to accept that chiropractic was an entrepreneur deal in the first place. That wasn't why they got into this uh, but you're here. If you're if you're in this, you're here. So you might as well start to learn this stuff and own it because it's part of the. You know, you don't get into any business without a plan for getting out. And mm-hmm. if you don't manage your finances in a way that is that is really tight, you never do get out, or you get out on a really really shaky footing, and then you end up working at Walmart as a greeter for the rest of your life or whatever. Mm-hmm. Let's really yeah, let's really scare the crap out of people. If you don't want to work. At Walmart as a greeter, 
for the rest of your aging years after you've sold your practice that could have been worth five times more if you managed your money well, uh, then you better start thinking about profit first. You like that? that yeah. <laughs> I want to come from a positive side. I, I feel like when you manage your money well, you feel good. Mm-hmm. You feel empowered. You feel in control. And it feels good to manage money, know where it's going, know where it's coming from, see your investments grow and all those sort of things. Uh, you feel safe because you're, you're insuring yourself. Uh, you know, you've got a 401k working for you and all these sort of things. You came from the other way of like, you know, people are eating dog shit out there <laughs> and this is their last resort. So that was you. I'm usually the negative one. Yeah. I'm showing the positive side. <laughs> Um, well, I, I mean, want, yeah, I, I like, like being positive know, too. Well, I want people to know that the reason why I feel like you got into this is uh, the whole reason why like, I got into the FTCA, whatever you want to call it. You know, there's a better way to do it. You know, there's mm-hmm. a lot of suffering that can be alleviated with just some simple uh, accountability, community, and a little bit of positive action can be taken. And you guys all can control these situations in your life. Uh, there is no massive system that's working against you to hold you down if you take action uh, you can win at this game pretty darn easily it's not hard yeah Uh, you just have to take the right action um so take the right action profit first i'm i'm down i read the books um but i i I think i need to take it a little more seriously i mean i have have three businesses so it's kind of harder to sort of navigate all about like do i want to open 15 bank accounts yeah that's that's the (laughs) That's the, the uphill battle I'm working with, but I, I think it could be done. I mean, if you can do three, you can do 15. It's just a little extra work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you think about new ventures and things like that, I mean, it's all just spelling it out from the beginning to be like, okay, yeah, like where, what is the potential here? Um, and, you know, and where, scaling, where do yeah. we want to take it? Yeah. Yeah. It's all scaling and then finding people, the right people to help you. You don't have to mm-hmm. do it all yourself. Yeah. What are you talking about in the business summit? So um, in the business summit, I have two presentations. Um, one is literally called Profit First for Chiropractors. Um, I walk through, I give you examples, you know, where, you know, what it looks like to put this into action, what it looks like to, um, you know, go through and do your own profit assessment. Um, and really just the understanding of the system as a whole and how it can work for you. Um, and then I have uh, my second presentation, which will be, I believe, on Sunday afternoon, is um, understanding financial reporting. So that's where, you know, whether or not you implement profit first, you need to understand, you know, financial reports that are standards for any industry, any business. So things like a profit and loss statement. Um, a balance sheet, statement of cash flows, those are the big ones that I go over and just giving some definitions in there. And then I give you some examples of some, some real live action ones and pulling out where some of those um, numbers can be. So, um, you know, this is, and I just had to come to realize, like, I, I'm kind of an anomaly. I like, I love numbers and reports and spreadsheets and not everybody does. So that's why it was like, you know, when people started coming to me, asking me about profit first, you know, two or three years ago, like after they knew I'd implemented it and they start coming to me and asking me questions about it, that was kind of like the little seeds that were being planted. Like, Hey, maybe I have something here. Maybe I can help people in a more, you know, formalized way. And because I'm a by the book person, I'm not just going to say, yeah, I can help you with that and not actually be credentialed to do so. Right. So that's where right. the, the certification process came in. But yeah, I mean, if you upgrade to the summit, um, I've got some, uh, coupons got and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Coupons and gifts and stuff for the 
online course and some coaching packages. And then you get the um, first two chapters of Profit First as well. So yeah, so how these virtual summits work and this virtual summit is uh, csamoneymatters.app.virtualsummits.com. Uh, you can screen capture that if you're watching the video and register. So virtual summits, basically you register and it's free and mm -hmm. it's free on November 20th, 20th and November 21st, just like any other conference you would go to when it's time for the speaker to speak, they speak. And if you're there, you get to see it. If you sleep in, you miss it. But we also have recordings. So if you upgrade, you get like a bunch of bonuses from the speakers. There's tons of bonuses. And then you get to actually have the videos on demand. So you can watch them a week later, a couple of days later. Uh, they're there for you and you don't miss anything. And if you wanted to take notes, you can rewind and watch again and all that sort of stuff. So that's csamoneymatters.app.virtualsummits.com. Right here in the Facebook group, we've got a couple of posts that also have uh, mention and link to this summit. So, uh, and this is all, you know, I'm an ideas guy. This is kind of my idea, but Dr. Kevin Christie is, uh, he's an idea guy too, but he makes most of the stuff happen. A lot of these people are his connections. Um, and then we said, we need a stud. We need a champion. We need someone who really knows their stuff. And that's why Holly, uh, you were brought on to be the stud. Well, thank expert. you. I certainly yeah. appreciate it. And I mean, I, I could talk about this stuff all day. I do still practice, but I could talk about this stuff all day. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I think, don't you agree? Like when you get later on into your career, I mean, there's practice, but then other passions start to emerge. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you can either make business out of them or you can crochet or you can whatever your pat right whatever your passions are they you start to find some space in your life where your other passions can emerge yeah yeah um, how old were you when you knew you wanted to be a chiropractor uh 16 yeah and i was 19 you know and you, you live that out and that's decades and then at mm -hmm. some point um it can't be your whole life <laughs> right. yeah. usually kids change that really quickly for you <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I've done I've done quite a few different things, you know, in my career, and it's only been ten years. So, you know, who's who knows what's going to happen in the next ten years? I mean, it's been said over and over again. This is the greatest time to be a chiropractor, right? But you can do whatever you want. Yeah, yeah it's the greatest time to be a chiropractor and find something else to do <laughs> at the same time. Um, I always appreciate your time. Um, I respect the work you put into this. Uh, it shows. And uh, it's wonderful to see you become a blossoming expert in the subject of business finance. All right. Thank you, Bobby. Yes, ma'am. Bye.